Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Today, we've got Paul Kinkowski on the show. Paul is the owner of Housematch, a coach and an expert in creating systems for businesses. He will talk about improving the overall process automation tools that are very useful and effective ways on how to step out of your business. He will also share some tips on what makes a good process and how employees should be involved in creating that process. So without further ado, let's welcome systems expert, Paul Kinkowski. All right, today we've got Paul Kinkowski with us. Paul is the owner of House Match Inc., mentor and coach to numerous property management companies around the U.S. And Paul, I know that you all are also a part of a virtual assistant company too. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So the company, the virtual assistant company have that also we work with systems and, and how to get your systems called PM Solutions Pro. So I started that last, well, in January and Housematch is my company that's in Southern California. It's in the Temecula area. And so the big thing is that I really want to be out of everyday day-to-day things. And I'm also one of those people kind of like I think AJ is and that you guys are both where I like to just try new things and I'm always trying new businesses. So I wanted to do more stuff. So I work a ton, but I don't work in property management a ton. I work a ton in, you know, my systems workshop, hiring remote, creating systems. I like creating big picture items. I don't like doing day-to-day tasks. So my big thing the last three years was how am I going to get myself out of my business and make it so that I'm not important to property management. So Paul, do you want to just, I, I like it. Do you want to just dive into that journey? Just give us like, you know, three years and yep. you, you feel like you're out. So like just broad strokes of, you know, okay, maybe, so- yeah. So three or four years ago, might have been four years ago, every owner had my phone number, tenants had my phone number, <laughs> everybody had my phone number. It was like my phone would ring. I was, I remember my wife would get upset with me because we'd be out somewhere and it'd be a Saturday and I'd be picking up the phone. And it was just like, my life was not mine. And so I had this phone for 20 years, this number, and I got rid of it. I just, it went and got a new phone number and I started off by... One of my friends, Chris Molinex, who owns CRM properties in Indiana, he would call me once a month and say, did you talk to a tenant this month? And I'd be like, yeah, I talked to five. He'd be like, you didn't do your job. You, you, you told me you didn't want to talk to tenants, stop talking to tenants. And then the next month, and then finally, I got to the point where I stopped talking to tenants. That was easy. And then after that, I worked on do not talk to owners. Even if I had the answer, do not talk to owners, it's a lot quicker. This is what we get in today. We know the answer, and so we want to just give it. So instead of just giving the answer, I would, the person who was in charge of talking to owners, I would talk with him. He would talk to owners. And I got the best compliment a couple of weeks ago. My wife was asked, did Paul retire? Is he alive? Like what happened to Paul? And so I was like, the thing, my owners don't even know if I'm alive. So I'm sure they see me on videos and stuff, but like, it was just a really big transition. And I really think you need someone in the industry to hold you accountable because your staff, they work for you. And they're not going to yell at you and tell you off and say, you know, and they also want you talking to owners because you're taking the job away. You're helping them get their job done. So find someone else outside and say, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. And then just have a once a month conversation with them. And that's, I think, the most effective way to get out of the business. It's piece by piece. It doesn't happen overnight. Like I said, mine was probably three years long. That's great. So you are an expert in systems. Like what sort of systems did you put in place in order to be able to do that? Because surely it just didn't, didn't happen. Just like, oh, I'm throwing my hands up. I'm not talking to them, right? Yeah. So I guess now I'm considered an expert in systems. But the reason I became an expert in systems is because my systems sucked. 
and I was using a sauna back in the day and I was frugal. I'm not going to say cheap, but I was frugal. And there's a speaker, Errol Allen, he's from Texas. And I wanted to hear him talk about systems. And he was a couple thousand dollars a day. And I'm like, I don't want to pay a couple thousand dollars. So what I'm going to do is just go on Facebook, find 10 property managers that want to hear him speak and we'll split the costs. And so we went to Vegas. We all flew there. He came out there. He kind of told us, and he, it was funny because he went through all of our systems and he basically said to all of us, he's like, oh my God, your systems are crap. Like he just, he was really honest and brutal. And like, we all had the move in and the move out and the leasing and new owner operating. It was all just one big system. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, detailed and stuff, but it was checklists. And if something happened, well, you just have to know you have to skip that. And he's just like, no, 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 you have to have it. So people can understand it and that anyone who comes onto your company knows what's going on. So that's, you know, how you get in systems. You, you have crappy systems and you work on making them better. And, you, and I always tell people, people come to me and say, oh, if I go to your workshop, I'm going to have all my systems done at the end of it. I'm like, no, you might have one. Like you might have one that you're accomplished. It's a system to make a really good system. I think it takes one to three months per system because you, you, you spend those couple of days making it, which is great. And then you have to break it and you have to keep on breaking it and making it so it gets better. So to do all your systems, like you should say, oh, I'm going to get all my systems done in the next three months that you're going to fail. And you're going to be, you're going to feel like a failure. You should say, I'm going to get my renewal process done for the next two months and I'm going to make it awesome. Okay. Now I'm going to get how we do HOA violations and we're going to make that awesome and just keep on doing it. We're still doing, we just doing new owner onboarding. That's one of the newest systems we just created to make our new employee onboarding. So we used to just have, oh, you just onboard them. There was no system to onboarding an employee. Now we've worked and created a system so that when you are a new employee for us, you're going to get the same experience, every single person, whether you're the business development manager or you're answering the phones, you're all going to get the right stuff and we're not going to skip stuff on the steps. So what systems did you start with on your journey you know, from not talking to any tenants or owners to where you are today? Like what were the most important ones that you jumped into? The, the most important one is the ones that are going to make or lose you money. And that's new owner onboarding and new property onboarding. If your new owner onboarding sucks, your owner's going to think you're a moron in the first month or two that they're with you and they're not going to stay with you. So I think those are really important because, you know, you have to have a good owner experience whether it's the nice emails after their property gets rented and not just forgetting that to tell them that their property was rented. You want to get the, that experience because when someone signs with you, they're excited. And then they start to get doubt in their mind and start to second guess you and start to wonder. But if you have a great new owner onboarding experience, they're going to stay excited and they're probably going to give you a good review and you're going to just, it's going to start the process of So that's where I would always start. And then there's things like leasing. Leasing is really important to have that on task. Move-ins, move-outs. Those are the key systems that I would say. So new owner onboarding, new property onboarding, leasing, move-ins, and move-outs. Those are the five keys. And the next ones I would work after that would be the big one, which will make you more money, is lease renewals. So if you have a really good renewal process, then you can offboard it to you know, someone in Mexico or something else. Inspection, we don't call them inspections, that's a bad word. Interior property evaluations, so, or assessments. Interior property assessments, I mean, I have it, so my interior property assessments are now being done in Mexico. And that's because we have a really good system and we are able to, he's able to walk them through the house while he's in Mexico. So there's just so many things that you can do. And what I find is when you, when you conquer these, these, other, these other processes and make it really well, you make a lot more money. Because there's so many times in the renewal process, you don't charge a tenant for this, you don't charge them for that. You didn't send them enough emails. Now it's automated. So at 90 days, they're getting emails about the renewal. If they don't sign by 30 days, they're getting those automated charges. And I know where they're going to get it because if they sign at day 28, well, they've had seven emails to say, you need to do this before day 30 or there's just extra charge. So you make a lot more money with good systems. Yeah, I like that. That's awesome. And for our audience, like you had, you know, these 10 property managers go to Las Vegas. Like what, what did they describe was like a good system or a good process? Like what constitutes kind of like from, from your opinion, like a good process? 
A good process is for a couple of things. First off, it can't be, you can't combine five different processes into one. So you can't combine the move in and the move out together. That's bad. Like those are completely separate processes. The next thing is, is that like, let's say you have different, like let's say the platinum owner and a gold owner get two different experiences. You can't just say, oh, we just skip these steps because they're a gold owner and we're just going to skip them. You need to have a software or something that lets your person notice give it because when you're just relying on people to read your brain, oh yeah, it's AJ. Well, for AJs, we don't charge them this fee, but for so-and-so, we charge this fee. If you're going to charge different fees, which I would suggest not, unless it's by like whether they're gold or platinum, then it needs to ask questions and it needs to make sure that the remote team member or team member or whoever you have working it can do it really easily. So like our thing will say there's a $150 fee. You have to charge it. And it, it asks questions ahead of time. And so there's no question on the person. It's not a judgment call. Do I charge AJ this fee or do I not? Or maybe I'll charge, you know, maybe I won't charge him because he seems like a nice guy. We don't want those judgment calls. You either did it by day 30 or you didn't do it by day 30. And so that's where people do too much skipping around and they expect, and this is why I find that remote team members fail the most is because people expect remote team members to read what's in the brain. They, they're like, well, I had it up here and I know what it is. And then they get mad when they don't succeed. We had someone text instructions to the remote team member and just said, and then they said when they weren't being able to get it, they're like, well, they're just, they're just not smart. No, you just had bad, you did a really bad job of training them. And if you do a bad job of training them, whether, yeah. they're, in, whether they're in the U.S., Mexico, the Philippines, the moon, bad training is bad training. Yeah. And people need good training. And so a good process well, is good training. One of the things that has resonated with me is like when the employee does something wrong, it's, it's not necessarily the employee. It might be the instructions that were, were given just weren't a hundred percent. And like, there's a difference between making a wrong decision and then, you know, having a bad outcome. And that's kind of like the difference between chance. But I always like, First, I want to look in and say, was it my responsibility to give them more information and more detail to allow them to make a better decision? Or did they just not read or not do some stuff? So I know so that that's always been that, a struggle. That is like actually perfect what you're saying. And so this is what happens. When something costs me money, so if something happens, we have a screw up. And I know your company probably never have a screw up, but when we have a screw up, never. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah. When we, have a, when we have a screw up, I go with the it's not me anymore, but the, whoever their manager is goes with the employee and we look at the process and we go through the process and we say, how is this process wrong? Why do we have a $200 charge that we have to pay out of our money because this was skipped? And we go through it and we say, so we ask the employee, you know, what did we do wrong in this process? And then we look through it and we're like, oh yeah, this is confusing. The wording here. Okay. Let's change the wording. Great. Or, oh, you just didn't read the instructions and you missed it okay, let's not do it again. Or if they say, oh, I didn't get it. Our thing is, well, how can we make this process better so this mistake won't happen? I'm not blaming the, the employee. I'm saying, how can we make this better? And so then they work on it and make it better. And guess what? They're never going to make the mistake again because not only were they involved in changing it, but sometimes it is. Like Sometimes we will have a screw up and we'll be like, oh my gosh, this step is missing completely from the process. It wasn't the employee's fault at all. And then other times it is the employee's fault. They just skipped it. But either way, we figure out why did they skip it? How did it get skipped? And we make the process better so it doesn't happen in the future. It's not about putting on blame on people. It's about resolving the situation so it doesn't happen in the future. Well, and I like that too, because if you have your processes detailed out enough, like it's very clear if the process was incorrect or if the employee didn't follow the process. And either way, when reviewing that with the employee, it becomes very evident of like what needs to change. And it's, it seems like a great training tool for the future. Like that's, it is. that's, that is awesome. And like, you know, if an employee constantly has the same problems and never reads your processes, then it's an employee issue. And then, you have, then, you know, you need to let them go. But I mean, it's just a matter of if you have good processes and you have, you know, they talk about the culture index and you have people in the seats on the bus that are, you know, like looking at things and like following steps, like your, your BDM is probably not the most person that follows step by step because BDMs are usually a little more out there and they're salespeople, but you're a person who's doing in charge of all the processes, making sure everything was on task. 
they should really be a detail-oriented person that likes reading stuff, likes making sure things are in line. They are the accountant type person. So, I mean, I just know that me, I'm kind of like, I'm a blow up my brain type thinker. I like, I'm all over the place all over the time. And so I like my processes because they help keep me in my lane. <laughs> keep you organized a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Cause like, yeah, like, you know, you asked me what I did three hours ago and I don't remember. I'm like, I don't know if I didn't check it off then I'm not going to, I did it. I mean, I just always am going and I just, you know, and I, I'm sure you guys are like that too. I mean, most, most entrepreneurs are, we're kind of like, we're going hundred miles an hour. And if we don't keep track of what we're doing, we're not going to remember what we did. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were talking about what makes a good process, you mentioned that it removes any judgment calls that a team member would need to make. Can you just dive into that a little bit deeper on how you might remove a judgment call and how you might make something more clear to where it's, you know, that it's cut and dry. Okay. So our renewal process has a fee. If the tenants, it's part of a residence benefits package that the renewal process is free to the tenants. As long as they sign up, they sign all the documents, get done, get their, get all the inspections done, get everything they have to get done 30 days before their lease ends. At day 29, there's a big, large fee to the tenant. And at day 90, they start getting emails and the emails are automated to show them what they have left to do in the renewal process, whether it's the interior property assessment, signing the lease, paying any fines they might have, getting an HOA violation resolved. Everything gets checked off as it goes through automatically through our process. So they're getting an email like every week, like this is where you're at. You still haven't done this. You still haven't done this. So in the old days, you know, we would get to day 29 and the tenant would argue with us. Oh, it's not fair. You didn't even get, get to my renewal process till day 40. I wasn't notified. I didn't get enough emails. And lots of them be like, okay, we're going to wave it. We'll wave it. Now we know they've gotten like nine emails before that day 29. If it's day 29, you're getting the $150 fee. I don't care. Like you're not getting out because you should have got done at day 45. It's not my fault that you're late. It's not my fault. And so I have noticed at day 31, now I get a ton of renewal sign. And if you don't want to sign it, that's fine because I'm going to make some money. If you want to wait till day 15. And so that was somewhere where we never, it was always a judgment call on the people because they would always argue. And now there's no argument. We just say, I'm sorry. You know, you got these, these emails. We have proof you got them. I'm sorry that you signed it at day 28. This is, you know, if we, if we don't charge on day 28, then what's this not charging on day 27 and 26. And so now it's just, there's a line in the sand. We charge on that date. And so if it goes up the ladder that would go to me, it, it doesn't come to me anymore. Before it was always coming to me because people were always like, hey, this person has this reason, this reason. And now I don't even get the tenants complaining because they know they got 90 emails. So they, they know it's, it's just, we don't give people notification and then we charge them for stuff and then they get mad. If you notify people, people don't mind paying if they really, you know, want to wait, get more time to do something. So that's, that's just one really concrete example where it's, it's been beneficial economically to our company. Is it, is it fair to say that like you waived enough fees and you got enough excuses that you like took that information and kind of disseminated it and then put it into the process so that it would preemptively handle those objections? Yes, and also... I also thought we did a, we did a crappy process. Like we would like every once in a while not, not tell them till day 45 or day 50. And then they didn't get it done and they only had 20 days. That's not fair to the person in 90 days. Now everybody's on the same, same timeline. Everyone's in the same emails. Everyone's on. So before I would be like, well, was it our fault? Yeah, it probably was our fault. Like, you know, you, you know, we get busy. And if it was June, maybe that renewal, you know, the person who was doing it, it was my wife that did renewal before and she did a spreadsheet and she had her spreadsheet and she had her way, but nothing was, it was all in her brain. So we went, I basically said, look, I'm just doing this and working this out. So now I know we're being fair to the tenants. Cause my point is I don't want to be a jerk to the tenants either. Tenants are our customers. I like my tenants, but so I want to be fair. I want to give them plenty of notification, but if they don't do it, then, you know, then they can get charged. So, all right, here's a pretty property management specific question. Have you found any way to remove judgment calls from move out inspections and move out charges? 
Well, we do very comprehensive move-in inspections, and then we do a move-out, and then we charge. And have I found ways not to do judgment? No, but we do have a whole process. If someone wants to dispute any one of our charges, then there's a whole form they fill out, and there's a whole process that goes through with the review committee with being reviewed and everything else. So we found that every once in a while, there will be a charge that we made that is you know, in error. And so I want to make sure they get their money back. It's very rare. But I would say that the whole move out process is the biggest, as we all know, biggest pain in the butt, you know, but, you know, our process does have, how old's the paint? What percentage is the paint? So we have all those things in that move out process. Like, you know, if the paint's more than three years old, there's no charges for paint. If the paint's one year old, it's 66%, two years, 33%. So that's all in that thing. But in the end, we don't have a lot of disputes because our move-in is so good. And we also have a move-in meeting where we go through the property. We make sure every light bulb is working before a tenant moves in. We make sure our property is in great condition when they move in. So when they move out, it's easier to stand behind that. When I had some of my cheap owners or my class D type owners who didn't want to do things, it was really hard because if you give someone shit and they leave it at shit, how can you charge it? And so I've really gotten away from, ooh, I just cursed on this, I apologize. I've gotten away from those type of owners because I don't want those owners. I want owners that are going to treat their property well so we can have good tenants. But yeah, it's still a pain in the butt, I think, for any of us. Less so now. I like the idea of a committee. So you you have the, the tenant fill out this form and then there's a committee within your company that like gets their heads together and reviews it together. Like what, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, the property manager who did the move in, move out is on it. Then the person that's owner representative is on it. And then I'll come on it. And then we just look at it and we discuss what's fair and we do what's going to be fair. So if the owner is going to be now be losing money, then Drew is going to need to make sure he makes that conversation with the owner. If we agree that the tenant's wrong, then we'll write up what, why the tenant's wrong and then Amanda will send that out. So I will actually... It's very rare that we have something that's, you know, really disputable, but if, if they can't come up to a, a decision, then I'm the tie-breaking vote on what's going to happen with that. So usually it doesn't even come to me. Usually it's Drew and Amanda look at it and say, oh yeah, we screwed up with some of the money and then it doesn't come to me or, you know, we're going to fight this. They write the thing. Whenever we're going to go fight a tenant, I'll usually be informed. That's something I'll be informed on because that's something where we might go to court later. And so I want to know anytime I might be going to court, I want to be informed. If I'm not going to court, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like that process. We might have to steal that. Good. Good. (laughs) Chris, I don't think it's stealing a process. It's merely just sharing the knowledge and and the wealth, right? Yeah. Well, I I start. Go ahead. I'm a big NARPM guy, so I don't believe anything is stealing in property management. Like I was taught very early on when I went to my first NARPM meeting that, you know, we're all in this together and it's all about, you know, the greater good of making property management good. So what's that acronym, Uh, uh, rip off and replicate, or (laughs) I can't remember the exact saying, but, you know, that's how a lot of, of things just get better is that you take something that someone else has done and then you improve upon it a little bit and then you share it with other people and they take what you've done and then they improve upon that. And it's a, like, it's, it's like a life cycle and growth. So. And and honestly, I don't think any of us created any of these ideas. I think we've all just (laughs) taken someone else's idea and then like you said, improved it. So we're just always hearing it. And that's the great thing about this community is if you stay in the, if you stay in the proper management community, Property managers, you know, that are part of NARPM and part of the thing are very open to, you know, giving back to other property managers. Yeah. So when it comes to being systems focused, like, what do you think are some of the pitfalls of like trying to implement systems and then where, where people run into their, their failures and, you know, like, I know that for us, it's, it's been a, a tough process with our employees. Just like the change has been extremely difficult for them as we've implemented Lead Simple. 
So I'm interested to hear what you think are some of the pitfalls. This is the biggest pitfall. Everybody wants to buy the quick fix. Everybody wants to buy. Everyone always says, hey, can I have your move-in process? I'm like, well, it's not going to work for you. It's not your company. Like, can I just, can I just buy it? And can I just get it and just implement it and make it work? It's, that doesn't work. So what we started doing with PM Solutions Pro is if you buy our move-in process and you pay like $700 for it, it also comes with like five or six hours worth of implementation by an implementation person, David. So he's going to sit there and he's going to go through with your company, go through what steps you don't do. He's going to chart it out and he's going to help you create it so that it's made for you. And then at the end, you still have to change it because your company is not going to run the same way as anyone else's company. So how many times do we go to these meetings and you buy like their this manual or this manual. I know I have a whole bunch of them I've bought through the years. And yeah, they're helpful <laughs> to a point. But like, if you don't, I bought the procedures, policies and procedures manual. And that thing's like a thousand pages long. And I don't think I've ever, ever, like I kind of updated a little bit, but it's like, you don't get it done. So you need to not only just buy something, you need to buy the expertise to get it so that it works for your company. So I think a lot of us have different expertise. Like, some people are great salespeople. Some people are great at systems. Some people are great at, you know, other things. But if your expertise isn't systems, you need to get people to help you that have that expertise. And you need to get buy-in from every single person that's going to be working on that system. So you said people don't like to change. Well, if, if I'm the leasing manager and you give me a leasing system and I wasn't involved at all in the creation of the leasing system then it's probably going to fail because you've taken the person in charge of this duty and said, I don't value your time. I don't value what you do enough to make you part of the decision of how we do leasing. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to go with everything they say because there's certain things I'm like, no, no, we're going this way because California law, we're going this way because of this. But every time I am dealing with a system, whoever's in charge of that, they are on the committee and they're working with us to get it right and to get it going. So they have all the buy-in. So when it doesn't work, they can't just say, well, Paul, you created this piece of crap. It's like, no, we created this piece of crap. Now let's make it better. Or we created this wonderful, beautiful thing. That's just awesome. So that's, I think, like, I think that's what the biggest problem is that people, they want the silver bullet. And we all know that, you know, I love lead simple process street was good. Asano's beginner, but there's no silver bullet out there. There's no like, if you took, if you bought Process Street and you use their pre-made systems and you said, oh, that's what we're gonna do as our company. Well, yeah, they're not gonna work and you're gonna think they're garbage because you have to customize and you have to work on it. You have to spend that time. And you have to spend that resources to get it right. And then you're gonna have some amazing stuff. I hear what you're saying. It's like, you got to spend the time and invest the time into developing a great system in order for you to have to spend less time in the future managing it or even doing the work yourself. And it doesn't mean you, AJ, have to do it. Because you're AJ, you have enough employees that you could put a group together and make them do it. And all you have to do is break it at the end. Like, I don't spend time working on the processes anymore in my company when they change it. Like, the new employee onboarding, they worked on that last week because we onboarded an employee while we're another one. I haven't even seen it. Like, I'm going to go look at it at the end, but, like, the people that are doing the work are doing it, and then I go as go in and try to break it. Yeah. Can you can you describe that? So I'm interested in this, like, breaking the system. So, like, that's something that I feel like we have created a handful of, like, good processes but you know they don't fit all situations. They it's not all encompassing, or and it's just like all right. Well, how do you keep it going? How, like how do you keep the staff and the team like using the system if it's not really doing everything that you need it to do? And like you mentioned, going in and breaking it when they say that they're done. What what is that like? Okay, so at our my brain just went dead. Our weekly leadership team meeting, which is we do EOS type stuff. So one of the things that we're looking at is one of the, you know, we go through maintenance, we go through different things and we look at the statistical data. One of the other things we look at is we have a chart, a spreadsheet. And when someone finds that a system is not working, they write down why it's not working. 
the movement process is broken right here. I don't think this is working. They write it in as they're doing it. And then when we go through that meeting, we're like, we'll look through that real quick and we'll see if there are any new errors in the process. And then, we, then we'll be like, okay, that's not working. And then the person who's in charge, we have one person who's in charge of a lot of our processes and making sure lead simple is working right and making sure it's working for our company. He'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's working right. You're just doing it wrong. And they'll talk together. The next week, he might come back and say, yeah, guys, you know, Chris was right. This thing is broken. I don't know why it's broken. And then we'll get a group together to meet for like an hour and fix it. So the first thing is, is to train. Like when you think it's broken, write it down. And then someone's going to look at it, see if it's really broken or if you're just doing it wrong. And then if it is broken, then get the people in charge of it and have them fix it. You know, so because it, and that's not talking about a new process, a new process we fix right away because we did assume it's broken. I'm talking about a process we've been using for seven months. We believe it's awesome. And then someone says, no, no, it's broken because they're here. A lot of times it's because there's an update in the software. It's something very minor. Two seconds later, the software. But systems will break seven months down the road because either Appfolio changed how you upload the information or something, and we're getting the information automatically. So we want people to be able to report that and then be able to fix it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes our Zapiers, sometimes like something gets changed and all of a sudden the zaps start stop exactly and like they just need to be updated sometimes and usually it's a quick fix but then you know there's other times where stuff gets reported and it's not a quick fix (laughs) but see what a lot of people do is they just never ever let their people say that oh my system's there it's a good system we're just it's not a lifelong system it's a every time it breaks it's like a car your car wouldn't be making a light and saying the oil's not done you'd be like no i bought this car two years ago it's good we don't need oil you would change the what, and that's a, that's what your systems are, you know. But they're like a really piece of older car that you know might always have lights going on <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's not a fancy new car with computer chips. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's just you know it makes it easier, but it only makes it easier if you keep the car running. Yep. Yeah, I like that analogy. So if it's a new car or if it's a new process, what's it like going through and? and breaking it and so a new process they finish it and then i'll go through the process and the, all the people on the committee will be there while like while i go through it and i'll be like well this sucks or this is and i'll give them notes and then they'll go back and the next week they'll work on the notes that i get or they'll defend what they did why they did it like no no this is why we want to do it and then we'll get into a discussion and you know and they either either i'm going to agree with them or they're going to change it like it's just you know, it's a discussion because I want to know why they did it because, you know, I want my staff to give input and know it and it's their process. But I need to also make sure the only time I will change a process and say, no, we're not going to do that. If I think that they're skirting a law that might get us in trouble, like let's say it's application process. And, and I'm like, okay, no, this is why we do it this way because we want to make sure that for fair housing standards, this is this and this. So that's what I look at, like breaking the process. So that's, so I'll spend some time, then they'll go back and they'll work on the for another week. And then a week later or two weeks later, I'll come back and look at it again. And they'll already be using it at that point because they like it. And then I'll go through it, look at it again, and or whoever that person is that does it. I just, I enjoy breaking processes. I think that's the fun part. And I'll enjoy getting in the back end and trying to zap them and do crap like that. But I enjoy like telling them like why I don't like it. <laughs> that's fun. And so then... So then all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So now it's an amazing process. That's when we, we send it off to live on its own. And that's when, if there is a problem, people will write down what the problem is. But, you know, you might go six months without a problem on a process. And that's, that's phenomenal. If you can make something and never have Appfolio change anything, or does that not work right? Or, you know, something like that. So, and people might say, well, then that's just a waste of time. It's not a waste of time because everything is being done so much more efficiently. I went to take my son to Mammoth Camp this summer for running. And on the day before I left, we let an employee go. Two days while I was in Mammoth Camp, we fired an employee. So we lost two employees and we're not a huge company. And I only found out about the employee we lost because I had to take him out of some software. But I was gone that whole week and the company, everything worked with the company. I didn't have to do it because not only were people able to do other people's jobs because they were able to follow the process, so we do a lot of cross training within our company. Like, yeah, you're responsible for the process, but if someone gets really behind, then we need some other one to, to cover, to help. 
to add it. So like if we're having the lease renewal process, it should be just one person in the entire company trained on it. Because if that person goes away, then that means you might have to do the job. But if you have two people trained on it, then you'll never have to do that job. Yeah. One of the areas where we really struggle is that our team is just like, well, we don't have, we don't have time to create a process. We don't like, we don't have time to have ownership in this. Like we barely have enough time to do the work that we need to do. And then there's like this massive amount of scarcity, even though it's just such a hard thing to describe and like bringing, bringing on this new system, which we think is going to save everybody time and energy and create a more consistent service. It's like getting from the place where there's complete lack of resources to, all right, now we have this culture of collaboration where we're working together, making these amazing processes that provide not only great customer service, but are easy and quick to, you know, to do. So like, how do you get from point A to point B? I'm very staff heavy. I'm able to be staff heavy because of all the remote, remote employees we have. And so, I mean, I just think property management companies work on a very thin margin and have like three people for 250 doors or 300 doors. And to me, I'm just like, how the heck do you get your job done? Like, I do agree that like, if you are so like understaffed that you can't get things done, that all your people do is anything you do, they're going to be complaining about. It's going to be awful. We're open seven days a week. I am able to have someone on Saturday and Sunday answer the phones because I didn't like the phone ringing on the weekends. But guess what? They get all the stuff done on the weekends. You know, a lot of the things, the process and procedures, a lot of times they'll work on the process on a Saturday while they're answering the phones. And then all of a sudden we get a new lead call and that new lead turns into a new owner. And so, you know, I don't know how many remote employees you have for your company, but if half of your staff isn't remote, then you probably don't have enough remote employees. One of my friends' companies who they have about eight, nine hundred doors, they've hired, I think, 13 remote employees from us in the last year and a half. And they're cruising now. Like they're able to add 100, 150 doors a month when someone comes on there because they're built for growth, they're built for customer service, they're built for all that stuff. And you gotta think that a remote employee, four remote employees is costing you what one basic US employee is gonna cost you. So if you could have four people doing what one person does, then your staff's going to be less stressed. And then I get the whole point of, well, let's hire American. And I agree with that. Let's hire American. I'm hiring way more Americans now that I have remote employees because, and also it's hard to find anyone right now to hire. So I'm, <laughs> I've been looking for a BDM for a month and a half now. So, you know, I want to hire someone at a high level pay. It's very hard to find people right now, but I can hire more people because I have more support for them. So they do a better job. And so the people in the field are less stressed and the people in the field can do more jobs. They can do more sales. They can do more things that make the company and themselves more money. So we're increasing the monetary amount that my U S employees make by having these systems and by having these remote employees really taking care of all the back end stuff. So my, my point would be, Look at your business. Like I have 250 doors and I think I have 11 employees. So I probably crush anyone's amount of employees, but we are very profitable. But, you know, a lot of those employees are selling and doing stuff like that. So I always hear people with 250 doors with three employees and then they say they're swamped and they can't get their systems up. I don't know how they do their job. I don't know how they sleep. I don't know how they have a life. Like you have 250 doors and you have three or four people working it. You're killing yourself. So that would be my thing. Look at where you are. You're always going to be busy. But like right now, we're getting into the less busy season of our improper management. So start really working on this stuff when it's less busy. Don't start it in July. Yeah, this is kind of our final sprint before, you know, middle of October is when basically we, we call it the dark times. And we let all our owners know about the dark times. So. Yeah, we start we start talking about that at the end of September. Is like if you want your place leased, you need to start dropping rent now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I love I love October, November, December. Those are the times when you can actually, you know. Well, I've been going on vacation a lot myself, but my other employees can go on vacation. They can 
it's just October, November, December are the times that you could really make changes in the company. So when do you find time to, good advice. to train for your ultra marathons? I haven't done an ultra marathon in a while. And so, which is really pathetic, but I mean, I did about four weeks of vacation this summer. So like no one's allowed, my company's allowed to take vacation in the summertime, but me, because I'm not <laughs> in the company. So like we try not to do it during the summer, but like I'm really out of day to day. I mean, it's just, you know, Drew's amazing. I got Amanda for tenant relations and my wife, you know, we went to Canada last week, which is phenomenal. They finally opened the border. It was, it was amazing. But like, I probably worked on house match 30, 40 minutes for the whole week. I mean, it was just checking emails and forwarding who I need to be. My wife, who still has a lot in the company that she's doing, she like missed a couple hikes because she was working and stuff like that. And you know, she, you know, I went off and went and hiked a lake and she was back there on the computer. And I was like, I was like, honey, you need to get, you need to get more people doing your work. I mean, but you, you know, she asked, she likes her control. And so she hasn't let me take a lot of this stuff away. Mm-hmm. Now that we went to Canada, she said, okay, you're going to be able to take my stuff away by December. So our goal is to get her more out of the company, you know, because if you're out of the company, then all of a sudden property management is the best job in the world. Like, you know, I say I like my tenants yep. because I haven't had a tenant yell at me in like three years. So that's why I like them probably because I'm sure my other people would be like, dude, you know, you know, I don't have people yelling and screaming at me. I mean, if, if someone gets to me, like an owner gets me and is like so mad they want to talk to me, my response to my staff is, okay, so let's get the paperwork ready to fire them. Like, unless we did something wrong, then I have no problems talking to them or going through it. But if they're just being belligerent, just be belligerent because, you know, the plumber paid a $120 bill and they thought it should be 80 then it's not worth my time. I don't want to work with you. Like I'm not going to work with someone who's not reasonable, not rational. We have a really good company set up. We have a really, we, we, we're very ethical. We do, a, we work really hard. I don't want people that are going to bring down my, my staff or our whole system. And that's one of the biggest things changes from when you start and you take anybody you can to where you can run an actual business and, you know, be selective. I like it. Well, I think we are getting to the time where we should get to our last four questions. I'm going to go ahead and get those started off. The first one is, what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? So I've always been a workaholic my whole life. And I talk about how I don't work in my company that much, but I've started other companies now and I'm doing other things. And, you know, you were at my systems conference and, you know, I'm on the board for my son's cross-country team. So I'm always doing stuff. I'm not like... It's two in the morning and I'm still doing stuff half the time, but I would say live life to its fullest. Enjoy every day. Take business seriously, but think of what you spend your time on doing because the one thing we can't get back is time. And so like, you know, when I was 25, it was all about, I got to crush this. I got to get this. I got to get up to this. I got to do this. And sometimes I never stopped the smell of roses and I'm glad I worked so hard, but I also wish I would have, you know, not always, been so driven that like everything had to be like, I had to get through this. I mean, I was a school principal and I got viral meningitis and shingles at the same time. And the doctor basically said, if you keep working at the level you're going to work, you won't live to be 50. He's like, you can't work like 80 hour weeks and put all the stress on yourself. And so after that, shortly after that, I quit. I quit being a principal and started buying properties, went to Narcom, San Diego, and just, you know, started running my own company. And yeah, I worked really hard running my own company. But when I was principal, like I was in there on Saturdays, I was in there on Sundays, I'd leave at five in the morning, get home at nine o'clock at night. Life is short. Life is really short. So you can be successful in life, but you have to have balance. I like it. Yeah, just loading all that stress up on yourself must have just been... So brutal. I mean, even as a property owner, you experience that stress, but that just sounds like it was tough. Glad you made it through. Well, I just, I take everything personal and I wanted the school I was at to be the best. And so if other people were going to do it, I was going to be there and do it. Like I was people that can't try to try my hardest. So you have to also look at what, and you have to get out of things that might take too much time. All right. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Well, what I learned, my first entrepreneurial was I was selling baseball cards. I was seven years old 
And I might have been like six. And I was selling them. I was so excited. I was at my friend's garage. So I had all my baseball cards out. And I had priced them up. And I looked through it. And I researched it. And some guy wanted to buy some crappy card. He was going to give me a dollar. And so I ran to my mom, my mom to ask her if I could do it. And then I came back. I was so excited. And he gave me the dollar. And then he left. And then I noticed that I had eight pages of Pete Rose's because Pete Rose was my favorite baseball player. And while I was running my mom, he had taken all eight pages and they distracted me and stole all my Pete Rose's. Oh. And so I learned in life that there's a bunch of, there's some real assholes out there and that in business, always be aware that, Ooh, I cursed again on that. There's in business, always got to be aware that there's people out there that have no sense of honor. Like you, I think I was like six. I mean, I was really young, but Pete Rose. Oh, it was. And I, I just remember I was, it was, it was all my Pete Rose's and, and then Pete Rose got in trouble and everything else. His card probably dropped, but it was like, I had some amazing Pete Rose cards I'd been working on. So they're probably uh, like now they probably would be worth a ton just because of how notorious he is. Probably. I don't know, but I just, it, I always kept that, that lesson in life. Like I mean, <sighs> to, not that I didn't trust people, but it was always that like, you know, when you're doing business, there's some really dishonest people out there and I don't want to work with dishonest people. Trust, but verify. That's AJ's favorite. Uh, yeah. Trust, trust, but verify. I was going to say that could almost be the answer to our last question too. Of what was your biggest mistake? And what did you learn? <laughs> oh. uh, would, all right. If, I, so if I could go back in that time, I would beat the crap out of that guy. <laughs> he stole all my few houses. <laughs> the seven-year-old self would uh, some fraud or something. Yeah. All right. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? I'm really into education. I love education. And I think that's because I was a teacher and a principal for 17 years. So AJ, you went to my systems workshop and I started that because I really like teaching people about property management. Like I like people call me all the time and say, Hey Paul, I have a question about property management. This I, I talked to two people today. Like I, I love helping people out. And it's just like, if I can educate people and I can work on that, that's just like, that's what I did for the longest time. So now that I've got my business going pretty well, I really wanted to get more involved in coaching and being part of it. Cause it's just, to me, it's fun when you can walk into someone's company, as long as they're thick skin, cause I'm not one of those people that beats around the bush and be able to tell them, Hey, you need this, this, and this you should do. And, you know, and that's just, I think that's where my passion is. I think as I get older, we get more and more into education, other property managers. Okay. And now our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? So my first teaching job in California was in Coronado and I could have bought a condo in Coronado. If anyone doesn't know Coronado is where the Hotel Del Coronado is. It's like one of the nicest parts of San Diego. I could have bought a condo for $200,000 in Coronado. And instead I bought one in Michigan Valley for one twenty-five. dollars but I would retire in Coronado if I could. Like that condo, there's not a piece of spit in Coronado that's under a million. So I don't know if it's a mistake, but I always just look back and I'm like, oh man, why didn't I buy that? I mean, you know, we always go through that as investors. I mean, I did buy property, but that was one of the things that I still wish to this day because now if I want to buy something in Coronado, I think my taste would be like a four or $5 million. So I'm not going to be living in Coronado at all. <laughs> so... I mean, that's an interesting like take because it, you know, looking back at that, maybe that was 90s, maybe late 80s. But if you looked at that through the lens right now, let's say that everything's worth quadruple. So you you bought the place that was six hundred thousand dollars versus the place you know that was a million or yeah. I mean, so it's just a tough. Like it's more that they don't build, you can't build anything left in Coronado. So it's more that the fact it's an island and yep. so there's limited space there. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I always loved property. And even as a teacher, every summer I would, my goal was to buy one house every summer. So it wasn't in California because I couldn't afford that, but it was always every summer I would, I would save half my money and try to buy a house somewhere. And so, but like, I wish like I'm always bummed about the things I sold. And it was just more that like, if we knew what we could do back then, now, I mean, then again, like, I would also have a house on a ski resort somewhere that's now, I mean, <laughs> everything has, everything has quadrupled and quadrupled and, and keeps yeah. going up. But like, it's amazing 
I mean, I just got back from Montana and I'm looking at the house and I'm like, man, these are California prices. Like everywhere in the United States now, besides like maybe Illinois and Indiana are California prices. Like you, you guys are in what's what state? Oregon. We're in Portland. Oregon. Oh yeah. You guys are, you guys have gone through the roof in Portland. Well, the beauty of Portland is, you know, it's really difficult to build because of our urban growth boundary. So it's all infill and, there's some, you know, like there's they're some not artificial boundary around. Yeah. But like, you know, Ben used to be like, you know, oh, gosh, so, ben. so cheap and, you know, and everywhere, like, so it's just everywhere. It's just, you know, if I told people nowadays, it would be like, don't, if you're going to buy something for 20, 30 years from now, it's not going to be a bad investment no matter what. Unless there's a nuclear bomb that hits or something, yeah. property's going to go up. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. everywhere else where the nuclear yeah. bomb didn't hit, it's going to be more valuable. Exactly. <laughs> and it's insured. So as long as we're there when the blast happened, you will get paid. That's true. Yeah. Well, Paul. Well, Paul, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. If our listeners want to get a hold of you or get in contact with you, do you want to yeah. shout out some information that we can include in the show notes as well? So our website is pmsolutionspro.com. That's where we do the hiring and we do we work with systems, stuff like that. So PM Solutions Pro. They can also find me on Facebook. They can, you know, it's very easy to get a hold of me. It's just IM message me on Facebook and I'll be happy to get back to you. You can email me, Paul at housematchca.com. You know, it's, you know, and I'm also on the NARPM. You go on the NARPM website, you can find me in Southern California. So easy to find me, just message me and I'll be happy to help out people and work with people. I, I love this industry. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been a pleasure. It's been great talking with you guys too. I look forward to both of you coming to the next systems workshop next January, 2023. I'll put it on the calendar. Yep. So it's a long ways away, but it'll be a lot of fun. We always try to make work and fun. We try to do both at the same time. That's our favorite type of conference. Yeah. So, Hey, it was great talking to you guys. Cheers, Paul. Thank you for listening to this episode of the real estate professionals investing podcast on win your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.